We'll be picking up in Mark 2 this morning, if anybody likes to follow along. Uh, The verses will be on the back on your screen, but if you want to follow along in your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Mark 2. Before we do that, I'm curious, I want to uh, encourage you to start thinking in the direction of this passage, but I want to know what, what is the first thing that you do when you come home after a busy day? What is your instinctive uh, action to relax, to kind of unwind and think, wow, the busyness is all behind me. If you're uh, one of the many worshiping with us online, you can chat your answer uh, in the YouTube chat there. Uh, what do you do, Pastor Phil? How do you unwind after a busy day? Walk the dog. That's a good tip. I don't have a dog. Um, maybe I need one to unwind. I don't think now's the time. Uh, I like to put on uh, cozier shoes, and then sometimes I like to just like lay on the floor. And I don't have dog, but I have small kids who then just like jump on me. And it helps me unwind and relax a little bit. Now, in our intro last week in Mark 1, uh, Pastor Phil talked about how rapidly moving the gospel of Mark is. Uh, it goes very quickly, and Jesus is very busy. And we started last week in Mark 1, and the verses that followed our focus after what we looked at, Jesus has some long, long days. We see that he called disciples, he cleansed someone from an impure spirit, he healed people, he preached in the city, he preached in the country, and in both places, he had people following him every which way. And after several days like that, I know I would love to relax when I come home, or Jesus might proverbially just want to kick his feet up and, and walk the dog. But we'll see in Mark 2 this morning, Jesus finds absolutely no such peace when he comes home. He's in Capernaum, which is in Galilee, and this is where word of his ministry is spreading, and we see a reaction here in the beginning of Mark 2. So let's look at that together. We're going to focus on Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowering the mat the man was laying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. 
It's God's word for us from Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. We see as the story picks up here in Mark, Jesus is receiving rock star treatment at this point. Word of his ministry is spreading so much so that people are flooding his house. Did you catch that detail? Uh, Amidst the miracle of the story, we can gloss over that little detail in in Mark 2.1, in the first verse there, that this was Jesus' home in some sense. Capernaum, in general, seems to be serving as a hub for his mission in Galilee. But we see in verse 1, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home, and they rushed there. Now, we can't know the full details for sure reading this today, but if it was Jesus' house where all of this takes place, it brings a special extra meaning to him telling the man, your sins are forgiven, as he busts through his roof. Or if perhaps it's a friend or or neighbor's house, Jesus, amidst this preaching and teaching and healing, is going to be indebted to someone, both for the havoc that his preaching has caused and the whole that's now in the roof. It's in this house, in this setting, under this now broken roof, that we learn more about Jesus' identity and forgiveness and how those realities in the Gospels are just so beautifully intertwined. So that's what we're going to focus on this morning, Jesus' identity, forgiveness, and also what we, reading this today, are supposed to do all about that. So we're going to start with the identity piece. Jesus says to the paralyzed man who's been lowered in the passage that we read, your sins are forgiven. It's the first thing. Jesus says that to him. The man says nothing. He's lowered down. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Immediately, he's questioned by the teachers of the law. Those guys. So what's your connotation when you hear in Scripture, teachers of the law? Are, are we thumbs up or thumbs down on them? And you can type it in the YouTube chat. Of the thumbs I see in the sanctuary, no one likes the teachers of the law. Poor guys. Uh, they get a bad rap in the Gospels, don't they? But they're really helpful in unfolding the story here in Mark chapter 2. These teachers of the law, to paint a little clearer picture of them, they are literate experts who function to general people uh, kind of like interpreters and guardians of the official Jewish legal codes. So place yourself in Jesus' day. Maybe you're someone who's storming the house to hear him preach. You are almost certainly illiterate. You definitely don't have a Bible. And you would have to rely to some extent on these teachers of the law to help you understand God's word, God's decrees, and Uh, stories of how God has worked in history and through the prophets. So these teachers of the law, they're based out of the temple in Jerusalem, and they worked for the priestly rulers in their dealings with the people. And it's under this wider umbrella of teachers of the law where uh, the Pharisees sit, people that we see Jesus interacting with a lot. And they get a bad rap. They got unanimous thumbs down from everyone in the sanctuary who assessed how they felt about them. But on paper, they actually have a pretty neat and meaningful job description. But Jesus knew that they were thinking that he was blaspheming, so he called them out. 
Jesus in the Gospels, and particularly in Mark, does not shy away from debate. And it's his response to these teachers of the law in verse 10 uh, that's really powerful. He says to them, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Of that which we've read from this passage, this is really the key claim that Jesus is making here as he's preaching in this house with the roof, with the hole in the roof. So he says, I want you to know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. This language we see as we're looking at Mark 2 here, the Son of Man, it carries weight. In Daniel 7, in a book that's in the Old Testament, Daniel shares a prophetic vision of a Savior, a Son of Man. And this Son of Man is given authority, power, people worship him. He establishes a kingdom that will last for an eternity. Sound familiar? Of all the people in that room who were listening to Jesus preach, the teachers of the law would know what Jesus is saying and know what Jesus is communicating when he calls himself the Son of Man. He is asserting that he is the fulfillment of this prophecy. He is the Savior of the world. He's not some random preacher. He's not someone who's got some gimmicks attracting people. He's the Son of Man. This calls in verse 7 for the teachers of the law to ask, who can forgive sin but God alone? And I think it's interesting to note what Jesus does and doesn't respond to. And this question doesn't merit specific unpacking for Jesus because he is God. He's communicating that in this debate and in this exchange with the teachers of the law. Who can forgive sin but God alone? No one. Therefore, Jesus here preaching in this house is God. And it's because of this reality that Jesus has this authority to forgive sin, this authority that's both drawing people closer and also giving people discomfort as they learn more about this new reality that Jesus is ushering in. Let's think about the man for a moment who was lowered in. I would absolutely love to see what that looks like. My imagination has gone wild this week. Was it an eight-foot roof house? Was the ceiling really high, like the sanctuary? Um, maybe one day I'll figure all of that out. But uh, a question that, that's really gripping, I think, is what did the man and his friends come for? Did they come to be forgiven, or did they come to be healed? They received both, which is great. But what pushed them to the house that day? What was their aim in tearing open the roof? You're wrestling too in your mind, but I think the safe answer and comfortable one is, is probably both, right? This used to, to drive me crazy when I was in divinity school. Such, you know, provocative scripture was thrown out there with, with questions and Everyone's answer was always, well, both, and then they would explain. But if I had to pick one on, on this, I, I think it's very plausible to think that these friends, who were great friends, and that this guy had heard about Jesus doing these healings, and they wanted in on the action 
and they would stop at nothing. And they got so much more than they signed up for or that they thrust themselves into. And in in thinking about this man, it's important to note how Jesus responds to him. Jesus forgives him when he hadn't asked to be forgiven. He doesn't say a thing, but that's the first thing we hear out of Jesus' mouth. Verse 4, the man is dropped in. Verse 5, we see Jesus say, your sins are forgiven. And then after the exchange with the teachers of the law, it's not until verses 11 and 12 that the man is healed, gets up, walks, and people are amazed by it. So note the order here that Jesus is responding with. First things first, forgiveness. And then the request or the need, the reason that that brought them there is granted. And it's worth noting, thinking about why the the teachers of the law were, were upset. There were also some undertones in those days pushed by these teachers of the law that a paralytic might be in the situation that they find themselves in because of their sin or perhaps because of the sin of their parents or their ancestors. So Jesus is, is smashing that too, doing the most important thing to forgiving this man and asserting that he is forgiven and with that will come his healing as well. So in light of thinking about this man, let's think about ourselves at the same time too. What does the order look like for us when we're making requests to God? When you're in prayer and you have something to, to put on God's plate, um, it's a lot easier than with this man, right? We just pray. They broke through a roof. But what's our order, right? Do you first put forth a deliverable or a request or a desire Or do you seek forgiveness and connection in the presence of God? It's very possible to fall guilty to the reality of just having blinders on and asking God a request for this or that when first and foremost, God desires a connection with us, our transparency, and also our repentance. That's because this is a, a relationship that we have with God in prayer, one that is of an intimate connection, much more so than being in an ATM machine for blessings, so to speak. We can learn from this exchange we see with the man and with God. We see that God has all this power in the world, and his first step with this power here is extending mercy and extending forgiveness. So let's think a little more about that power that Jesus has. He has power, and it's unbelievable to me still sometimes when when I'm reading the Gospels, uh, passages that I might, might have seen again and again, the way that Jesus wields his power with mercy. Think about the power Jesus has preaching in, his, in that room. If I were in his shoes or sandals, I'd have been tempted to wield my power at those teachers of the law who were doubting me or, or who were in their thoughts calling me a blasphemer. But time and time again, we see Jesus with the utmost power harnessing it in a merciful way. He wields his power on behalf of others. 
he uses his power here in Mark 2 to demonstrate that he is God to people who are searching for answers and who are searching for hope. And Jesus, later in Mark, both beautifully and somewhat paradoxically, will give all of his power on the cross for the sake of humanity. And that's the beautiful life of Jesus that we're exploring as we look at the Gospel of Mark. It's leading to Jesus giving it all for the sake of the world. He uses his power on behalf of the world, on our behalf, to save us and to redeem us. Big picture for us today, just like we see him doing uh, in this example here in Mark 2. Jesus has all of this power, and this power is wielded in a merciful way. Thank God for that reality. Let's spend a, a few moments thinking about our own power now as well. We all, each of us in the sanctuary, each of us worshiping online right now or later in the week, we all have some level of power. It could be your job. It could be your position in your family or in your social circles or your abilities or your talent in a certain arena or field. So I encourage you to, to bring these strengths and these uh, areas of power that you have to mind right now. Name a few in your head where in life you're in a position of power. In Jesus, we see this amazing tapestry of, of God and man. We see power and meekness. I think that's my favorite. And, and we see justice and forgiveness. We see this beautiful blend of these attributes of God working together. And in all of them, Jesus does what Jesus does for the sake of others. He wields his power to forgive on our behalf. That power that we're amazed by, that we sing songs about, that we pray giving thanks for, that power is wielded in a merciful way on our behalf, on the sake of the world. So as you have your uh, thoughts floating in your mind about places where you hold some sort of power, ask yourself on whose behalf are you wielding your power? For whom are you using your power to extend mercy, grace, to bring goodness to, into their life? I want you to actually chew on this and, and see if you can bring to mind someone or something where you are working to actively lift someone up with your power or with your abilities. We see Jesus doing that in Mark 2. We want to be able to identify ways that we are doing the same. And if, if the answer for you this morning is you're not quite sure or you're still thinking about what that looks like, dig into it this week in light of this story of Jesus wielding his power for both the paralytic and for our sake. As Jesus does for us, we must do for others. But we can't save people, right? We can't ultimately forgive people the way God can, but we can use our power as well as the power of the Holy Spirit on behalf of others to give them 
a taste of God's love and of God's redemption. This is truly part of our calling in our own lives, but also as a church to harness our power and to work for the sake of others. We've got to be, if we're raising the banner of Jesus and united by the cross, we have to be people marked with this compassion and with forgiveness. Forgiveness is a theme that we see Jesus offering boldly here in Mark 2. It, it marks his ministry at the beginning of this gospel, and it's at the core of his being. From his preaching here in Mark 2, uh, we even see shades of it at his baptism, and we see it ultimately at the cross when he cries out, Father, forgive them. We want to be like Jesus with this forgiving nature. And something that's, I think, really stark in how Jesus forgives in Mark 2 here is he extends forgiveness without even being asked. How often do we feel like we're owed an apology or some sort of explanation before we're at a place where, okay, we can now dispense forgiveness because that other side has taken that step to the center. That can be part of our natural thought process to think we're, we're owed something to forgive. But Jesus radically forgives without anything being said, without anything being asked, both to the paralytic and to countless others, as we'll see throughout Mark. So consider this morning in light of Jesus' forgiveness, this forgiveness that we receive Think about, are there places or relationships in your life where you can offer forgiveness without being asked? Are there places, are there fractured relationships where you might be waiting for that other person to make that step or make that apology? Where can you, like Jesus in this passage, make that first step of forgiveness? In light of all this, I, I hope we can spend some time both thanking God for forgiveness, but also considering if there's anyone we need to forgive now. It could be someone that you've been at odds with. It might be someone that you've grown apart from over the last couple years and your relationship is getting more fractured or, or contentious. Jesus is bold in his forgiveness here in Mark 2. We need to be bold in the ways that we, as followers of Jesus, also forgive. And Jesus, I, I mean, of course he's Jesus. He does everything right, but he even does forgiveness humbly. Doesn't require a petition from the man, doesn't seek an apology about the roof that someone's going to have to deal with. He simply forgives in light of the man and the man's friends and his company in light of their faith. So consider if God is nudging you as we're talking about forgiveness putting a name on your mind, someone you need to forgive or steps you need to take towards reconciliation. We understand and know what this looks like through our relationship with Jesus and through the power of the Spirit, we can be reciprocal in our lives as we're forgivers and bridge builders. And lastly, on forgiveness, there are some of you here, some of you worshiping with us, who might need to forgive yourselves. And I want to encourage you to not let pressure or guilt or shame prevent you from living freely 
as God's created you to live. So if that's the boat you're in this morning, if you can't think about forgiving others because you need to forgive yourselves, God wants in on that. God wants to stand alongside you to help you forgive yourself and to release that weight off of your shoulders. If that's something you're struggling with, I would be happy to chat with you. You can reach out to Pastor Phil as well. Uh, if there's a pressure of forgiveness that uh, for a variety of reasons could be self-inflicted. So we'll close out this morning thinking about those friends, all right? The friends we see in this passage, they provide a great example. They not only helped their friend be healed, they helped him be forgiven, they got him a spot in the Bible. I mean, it's a pretty good crew that he was rolling with, but they pushed through the crowds, right? Picture crowds around a house. They were pushing through it, they were climbing a roof, and they were digging a hole in a roof while somebody important was speaking. And they found themselves in God's presence, able to bask in this display of forgiveness and restoration. It's remarkable. This is a scene from Scripture I would love to see play out in real time at some point, maybe on the the heavenly highlight reel. But Think about these friends and also this crowd. What is it in your life that represents a crowd like this? That's, that's a gulf between you and the closeness with God that you feel like you need. Whatever represents that crowd, whatever that barrier of separation is from you falling before Jesus, push through it. If there's a barrier like that roof, rip it open. Forgiveness and love, they feel unreachable or almost unattainable when we are distant from God. But when we draw close to God, when we draw close to God's forgiving nature, we feel it, we know it, we live it, and we live a life that's forgiven. We live in a way that shapes how we see the world and how we interact with others because of knowing God and aligning our priorities with God's priorities. So tear a hole in the proverbial roof if there's one in your way and draw closer to the God of forgiveness. We get a great picture uh, and really introduction in Mark here to a God of forgiveness in Jesus. You're so welcome to do that here with us, to, to break through whatever's in your way and have the support of friends. You can do that through the spiritual growth plan we talked about earlier. You can do it through Bible study There are a handful that meet here at 9.30 before worship. Uh, You can do that with us through worship, through service, through fellowship. Uh, We want to help place you as close as we can in the presence of Jesus to be forgiven, to be restored, and to be redeemed. So as that paralytic had his friends draw him near to the forgiving God, we've got each other, which is something that I give thanks for. This is not something we're operating on in a vacuum. So let's continue to pursue Jesus as we're meeting him here in Mark and rip up some roofs together as we draw nearer and nearer to Jesus that we meet here in Scripture. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the way that you masterfully and cleverly preach and teach us about who you are. We're in awe of the reality that, Jesus, uh, you are God. You 
put on flesh and dwelt among us, preached, taught, healed, and we thank you for the ways we're able uh, to bear witness to that in Scripture. God, we receive forgiveness from you gratefully and also accept the challenge to be forgiving people, uh, forgiving in the same way that you are. So God, nudge us, more than nudge us, God, push us to forgiveness, God, in relationships and places in life where we need to be forgiving. Guide us, encourage us in that direction that uh, those exchanges might be ones that point to you and bring you glory. And God, ultimately, we're in awe of who you are and grateful uh, for the ways that you uh, minister to us and speak to us. So as we uh, close worship today singing and praising you, um, Lord, we ask you just receive these words we sing as an offering in Jesus' name. Amen.